Welcome to Semio Bites, bite-sized podlog episodes related to theological semiotics. Hi, Terry. How are you doing today? I'm doing surprisingly well. Um, lots of good things going on. Family's doing well. We're all healthy. Um, don't take that feeling well or as being optimism about uh, U.S. American politics, however. <laughs> How are you doing? I'm I'm doing pretty well. Uh, it's there. There's a lot of things that could be wrong that aren't wrong, and so I'm grateful for that. I mean, the, I'm not down for the count with COVID, and I don't mean to make light of those who are, but I mean you remember I got I caught COVID in the early stages in America, and right now I'm I'm grateful I did because even though nothing was known and treatments and how to handle things. It was really just a guessing game at the time. There were available resources. And now we're to a point where resources are stretched thin and people are being denied service. And, and so I'm grateful to have had the access to service when it did happen. And it's, and it, it's not just the COVID victims, I'll say, those who have you know, caught the disease. It's not just those who are overwhelming the service. The, the, the ripple effect car accident, gunshot wounds, falls, and you know, all the other mm-hmm. kinds of trauma that come into the emergency room, they're waiting for hours and hours and hours, and sometimes only to find out that they can't be admitted even to the emergency room. It's horrendous. Yeah. That's like LA County, I think, is where it's about the worst right now. Now, there's, there, there's definitely a, a lot of unfortunate timing with it. Um, you know, a few months ago, we actually recorded an episode on the vaccines. And at that time, I was like, no, I wouldn't take it. And I said, well, you know, after I've had time to reflect and learn more, and I know that's not today's topic, but I just want to let you know, I had the time to reflect and learn more. And I would take it because we don't fully know all the risks of it, but we know that it has an immediate benefit that can save lives. And so I think that's a big, important part of it. But then also, like in my own life, having caught one strain of COVID, I'm still susceptible to the other strains because my immune system developed a, around the protein spikes, the parts that are changing with the mutations. Whereas that mRNA vaccine is against the base and so it can handle the different variants, whereas my immune system is not trained for that. Right, right. And when somebody catches it a second time, it's much, much worse. Yeah. So uh, that was just my own aside saying I'm I'm looking forward to when I can get the vaccine. <laughs> we we have a well, complicated rollout. I I'll probably take it, and I suspect Peggy will too. I don't know about the kids and grandkids, but I, I probably will. But I will be honest with you. You know me well enough to know that I, I won't say that I know that it's it will be beneficial. I assume it will from the herd immunity perspective, since thank God I have not had COVID yeah. uh, yet. But I don't trust that the any of the COVID vaccines, the mRNA or any of them, uh, that that's all you're getting. Fair enough. I mean, um, I, just, I just don't trust for-profit healthcare in America uh, to not take advantage of a pandemic for profit. I just don't, and I'm so convinced that they would do that, that I'm just kind of going, you know, 
I mean, I haven't had many, if any, of the other vaccines, flu, pneumonia, shingles, those other vaccines haven't been there. And I haven't had any of those, <laughs> you know. So, you know, and I know how to take care of an ordinary, if there is such a thing, strain of flu. Um, I can't remember the name of the, there's an oral medication I can take. Um, Tamiflu is the name of it. Yeah. Uh, when I was in Portland or in Frederick Way going, uh, going, working for World Vision, and my first encounter in a, in a Zoom session, uh, healthcare, meeting with a physician in a Zoom session, he diagnosed me over the, over the Zoom uh, as having a, genuinely having a flu and he phoned in a prescription and I went and picked it up and it worked charms. Being old, older, <laughs> I was eligible to do that. And being um, uh, early in the symptoms, because I knew the symptoms as soon as they hit. Every time I get a flu, I get a little tickle right back here on the left tonsil. I still have my tonsils. Yeah. I get a little tickle right back there. And it, it's, like, it's like there's a little bug sitting there nibbling away. You know, I can just feel it. Sure enough, within 24 to 48 hours, sore throat, dry cough, temperatures, cold sweats. And I was at that tickle point when I made, when I made the appointment and the dry cough was starting to come up and he looked down my throat online and boom. Sorry, digression there, back to the point. <laughs> I, I will get the vaccine and I will say with some gratitude to you, uh, making me aware of the next level of understanding around the structure of the virus and the effect of the vaccine relative to the spikes versus the nucleus of the cell, right? Mm -hmm. um, that kind of nudged me in the direction of getting it. Yeah, no, no I, I agree with you and your concerns and the concern of corporate America and everything. It's definitely, it's definitely a thing and definitely a concern. Um, you know, there's another concern within Yiddishkeit, within Judaism, is that we can't place our faith in the shots because it's not the shot that heals. We have to remember that it's God who allowed the shots to be made, and it's God who's allowing the shot to be an agent of his healing. Yeah. And so we have a special bracha when we take medicine that acknowledges that I'm taking this to show faith in God, that God will heal me by using this in a healing way. Right. <laughs> There's a well-known kind of tale or joke that's told about the guy who's, I don't know, it's like a golfer. He's out playing golf and there's suddenly an earthquake and the, he falls off the edge of a, of a crevice and he manages to grab hold of a rock, you know, and he's pleading to God to rescue him. And some guy comes by and he says, oh, no, God will rescue me. And then something else happens. Oh, no, God will rescue me. And finally, yeah. he says to God for the last time, God, please help me. He said, well, I sent this guy and I sent this guy, <laughs> you know. You get the gist. Yeah. Um, I think I can help us transition to the subject here, um, the pledge in particular. <clears throat> As I look at the signs of our times, okay, mm -hmm. broadly speaking, the signs of our times, three that kind of rise to the fore right now are, and I think you can resonate with this, we've talked about some of them, COVID. Mm -hmm. side of our times that's now into its second year um, and the insurrection in DC the domestic mm -hmm. terrorism that erupted in DC with surprisingly little uh, after effect or aftershock yesterday in the inauguration as far as I know yeah. but third at the same time 
they, depending on who you ask, in that insurrection in D.C. at the Capitol, there were thousands or maybe even tens of thousands there rushing the Capitol, or at least present to help make that happen. At the same time, tens of thousands or at least thousands of climate refugees are moving north from South America. They're coming up through South America into Central America, and they're pushing right on through Central America into Mexico, and they're pushing through Mexico toward the southern borders mm -hmm. with the full-on intent of crashing our borders. So taking those three signs together, I do not want to have a biblical end times discussion around them today. <laughs> maybe, maybe one day, who knows? But right now, no. But I think we can talk about it from the perspective of my dissertation broadly in signs. Whether these are end yeah. times or not, these are signs of the end of human, human civilization, at least, if not the species. So in terms of extinction rebellion, deep adaptation, and other climate activism, that's the, the refugees moving north from the southern, the, the global south, literally, into America or toward America. To me, that's one of the more interesting of those three things I named, COVID, domestic terrorism, and global south refugees heading for America. That third one is tied directly to mass extinction, climate collapse, civilization collapse, all the stuff that people like Roger Hallam and Jim Bendell and Michael Dowd and Dean Spillane and, you know, all the other, Rupert Reed, uh, all the one, Guy McPherson, who we interviewed in previous, two previous episodes, right? Yeah. Um, all of that kind of has been in play for us for several episodes and across a couple of seasons, which brings us to today's topic. <laughs> this pledge that you asked for my response to or my impressions of. So I have it up if you want me to put it on the screen. And yeah, I'm read, sure. Why don't you read it, just the opening paragraph, and then we'll go into the items in particular. I'll, I'll share the screen so uh, it'll be in the video for, for uh, those who see the video. Yeah, sure thing. And I, I do want to mention two things. One, I'll, I, once you share that, I'll explain some of the background or context to that um, form. But the other one is for our readers who are listening, they're like, what, another episode on the climate? another episode on this what what's going on i thought this was a variety of things and you know the answer is it is a variety of things um semiotics it's the concept of well that's what semiobites is is we're discussing the semiotics of current issues that are affecting humankind from our unique perspectives you know the christian jewish perspective and as a result of the the training we had under lens suite with semiotics and while it seems like a lot of our subjects tend to be only related to this is because these are the issues that are currently a very real and present danger for humanity and that are a daily thing that we're seeing signs of and, and so it's not that we're narrowing our perspective it's that we're actively addressing the issues that exist does that make sense yes it does so, so for those who are like, oh, another one, I was like, well, no, it's, it's not that it's another one. That this is still an issue. We still haven't fully addressed the issue. Which, well, I don't think brings... these issues are going to go away anytime soon. Um, of course not. So I've put the, uh, the pledge document that you sent to me up in the chair. Um, can you see it? No, I just see a full screen of you at the moment. 
I, I did see your screen and then it disappeared. Oh, wait, 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 wait. Uh, I've got it ready to share, but I didn't actually share. There we go. Yeah. All right. Read, so, the, read the preface there and then we'll move from there. Yes. And so um, there, there's this pseudo holiday on the Jewish calendar called Tubishvat. And this is the context. It's Tubishvat. It's not found in really in the Torah or anything. It's this concept of this is the new year for the trees. Uh, this is when we measure things such as um, our tithes and offerings of produce. And we start to look at how do we measure the years and we take account of things. And so recently it's become more of a, a platform for it's the new year of trees. Let's talk about the trees. Let's talk about the environment. What, what responsibility do we have as Jews in regards to environmentalism? which led the climate committee that I'm part of in, in Portland to discuss um, what can we do to get the community a bit more motivated. And as a result, this action pledge is one of the things that we're tossing around that we want to send out. And so, you know, it says it's custom to celebrate to Bishvat with the birthday trees with planting. And that's one thing a lot of people like to do is they like to plant trees um, or onions, parsley, lettuce, other greens. It's whether it's prepared for another Jewish or whether it's just a this is something we can do. I know it's not the end all, but it's a beginning step. And for a lot of people, that tends to be the final step until next year when they remember it and then they plant a tree again. And so the concept of this pledge is to, what if instead of just planting a tree, you said, hey, these are some things I'd like to do. And now this pledge is in the process of still being edited and added, for example, for links to explain why different things are in the pledge, but essentially is we're saying for, for our local community, what we're saying is that while you're looking to Bishvat, now's a great time to make a pledge. Now's a great time to take on some things in regards to sustainability and environmentalism and trying to do good for the earth. It's a kunalam, the reparation of the world. And so we, we have a list of pledges that somebody can choose for personal, political, communal, and are my taking these pledges is just me, my household, or a group of people? And then how do I want to get updates to remind me of my pledge? And we're talking about, you know, after some people fill this out, how do we use this as a marketing to get awareness in our community, get other people to fill it out? And then how do we use that as a platform saying, look at what each person's chosen to do collectively as a community. Here's what we can do with that. Now let's use this as motivation to get you more involved. So it's more like the um, outreach step. Let, let's, let's get you interested. Let's get you into the foyer so that we can try to educate you. And then maybe you'll look at some form of activism down the road. Maybe, maybe not. But the point is, let's get you involved so that you can learn more. Well, I, I will and, say, I mean, you asked me in a Facebook Messenger prompt, you sent me the, the document for the pledge and you asked me what were my impressions. And I must admit, I know that I was overwhelmingly negative. Uh, when I just read the opening paragraph, I thought, oh my God, how much more feeble could you make this? And then, then, then when I looked through the things that were listed after I spewed back at you rather negatively, <clears throat> I looked through the things that were listed and I backed away from that initial kind of, it couldn't be any worse reaction to be a little more acknowledging that it is a baby step in the sense that you're saying. This is a good way to draw the, for lack of a better phrase, I'll say the uninitiated. Yeah. Whether they're deniers or aware but disengaged 
you know, yeah, I know it's a problem, but I know the technology will take care of it or the government will fit, you know, they're just disengaged from any kind of in, in involvement. So the uninitiated, this is a good way to kind of try to get their attention. Uh, yeah. It would, be, it would be good, I think, if for that part of getting engaged, that first step, that baby step, as you said, of getting engaged, it would be good, uh, not just for Jews. I mean, this is this is the kind of thing that I think any one ought to want to do. Um, and if they don't, well, we'll get more into this. But if they don't, my response would be, "Hey, come see me when you wake up, <laughs> you know, because you're going to wake. Nature's going to wake you up about this if you're not awake to it already. You're going yeah. to be brought into it, kicking and screaming." down the road and it's that kicking and screaming part as civilization collapses around us because of this it's that kicking and screaming part that i come from because i've been in this for going on two years now it'll be two years mm -hmm. in um, that i've been engaged with xr and deep adaptation and other such ilk um, so having said that do you want to read that opening two paragraphs there or you you covered it nicely i mean i think your explanation worked well but if you want to just read the actual pledge for the radio listeners. Yeah, um, it is a custom to celebrate to Bishvats, the birthday of the trees with planting. Many do this by planting trees, others by planting parsley, onion, lettuce, or other greens in preparation of Pesach. This year, we invite you to honor to Bishvat by planting a planet-helping personal habit. Make an environmental pledge with an action or actions you can take this spring. Take on as many actions as you'd like from as many sections as you'd like. We'll check in before our next event near Pesach so we can see how we have grown in our habits as a community. And then below that are the, the, the demographic info, your name, email, which you don't Correct, have to yeah. do, but uh, if you sign the pledge, then you have a, a laundry list, a Chinese menu of things you can pledge to do under personal. Oh. There are these. You know, if there's a Chinese menu, then some of these items would be on multiple lists. So it's possible that it may be. I, I only reflect back to my one experience at a Chinese restaurant where under the chicken section, there's a beef listing. It made me wonder, maybe this is cat or dog. But, but, I, but, but you know, my, my experience where I grew up, it, it was not an unheard of concept. So uh, let's see. So for the pledges, yeah, personal, right? Um, that they're, they're very simple. Okay, it's uh, maybe instead of replace a takeout meal with a home cooked meal. I think a lot of people let me, are doing let me this. Make one. a suggestion. It, I mean, yes. we can go through these fairly quickly. Mm -hmm. So, uh, can I mark these? I don't know. Let's see. Yeah. You can check them. So, I'll do that. Yeah. And, and let's just briefly, let's not spend more than a minute each on these. And that, that's 15, 30 seconds a piece. And just say a comment about it. And then let's rank it like on a scale okay. of one to five and say, yeah, this is worth doing or it isn't worth doing. Let's go zero to five. It's worth doing. It's a good gesture. It would be a one. It's an, a, a helpful gesture, not just a right thing to do, but it does help the problem. If you want to call it a problem, I don't. But anyway, you see what I'm saying? And five is yeah. something that if you do this, you're really engaging yourself you know you're really putting skin in the game okay somewhere yeah. between that zero i'm just going to stay detached to this just leaves me detached mainly all the way excuse me up to i've got some real skin in the game here okay zero to okay five. sounds great 
All right, so replace one takeout meal a week with a home-cooked meal. I consider this free on the bingo sheet. Everybody's doing something like this already because of COVID. Maybe it's more than one meal, but. <laughs> okay, okay. Can I edit this, I wonder? No, I can only check the box, okay. Yeah, uh, and, and so. On the same page with you. Um, hopefully, you're right. Um, everybody's kind of doing that. Uh, because of COVID anyway. So it's kind of the free square on the bingo card. I think that's a good example. I, I don't think it's that much of an ask, but I also don't think it's that much of an impact because we don't know. Is your home-cooked meal more sustainable than the takeout? Maybe you're ordering from a restaurant that focuses on sustainability, but at home you're not. Good point. I mean, if I order a pizza from Domino's, that's one thing. Yeah. <laughs> but if I order a vegetarian vegan meal from a local vegan restaurant, that's a wholly different thing. Yeah. Good point. Yeah. Good point. Okay. Replacing a favorite treat. With Go ahead. What? Go ahead. Uh, I was, I was going to give that one like maybe a one or a zero. <laughs> well, let me, let me put up a ratings page as well here. So we'll have notes that we can share. Hang on one second. All right, I'm just going to put the numbers down and then I'll correlate them to the items on the on the pledge sheet later. So on the sure. under personal, we've got a one for the first one. And yeah. I would go along with that. Replacing a favorite treat with a sustainable version, version such as fair trade chocolate. Uh, that's I think that's still around a one yeah. for me. It's a, good, it's a good thing to do, but it's, you know, it, the difference it makes is pretty minimal and the, the effort required is pretty minimal. Yeah. I mean, here it's, it's already something that occurs because it's Portland and there's, there's fair trade chocolate in every store. Well, it's, it's pretty plentiful uh, even here in St. Cloud at, at Publix and Walmart, local to local Walmart store, not the big mart, but the neighborhood. They have fair yeah. trade, I think. I know Publix does. Aldi's does. Yeah, it's easy to get fair trade chocolate. So that's, 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 I'd say that's another one. We agree? Yeah. Okay. All right. Changing the thermostat by two degrees, either cooler in the winter or warmer in the summer to reduce heating and air conditioning. Okay. So this is, um, I know that this is, I know the impact is greater than somebody thinks on this. And that's because our local electric company has been really trying to advocate this and arguing the science behind, if you just do these two degrees, look at how much energy you're conserving through the year. Um, I, there's a little bit of a, a smidgen of effort involved because those two degrees can make the difference between you sweating or not sweating or freezing or not freezing. It really depends on what you're already doing. So I, I'd give that a two. Um, yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's another consumer change, but it goes directly at the heart of the fossil fuel issue. So I, I think that's a good, and the reason I was chuckling while you were talking about it is, and you, you may be able to relate to this, many people with roommates, whether they be you know, partners, spouses, or just you know, roommates, are constantly engaged in what I call thermostat warfare. <laughs> yes. That's kind of self-explanatory. My wife yes. and I, Peggy, we're in thermostat warfare, but we've kind of settled on a demilitarized zone <laughs> where it's um, 72, 71 at night. 
uh, and Peggy would rather that would be in the wintertime, that's where it ends up being. So we're fine with that. Uh, mm -hmm. In the summertime, she wants it down around, she won't go below 74, too much air conditioning. So that's that's the one or two degrees that's a little bit of a crush for me because I you know I'm more warm blooded or more hot tempered or whatever both probably uh, and and we used to run the AC around seventy five but Peggy's not happy that cool uh, in the summer she she's a country girl grew up without air conditioning she's perfectly happy around eighty we settled on seventy seven <laughs> so seventy seven that's hot for me. <laughs> Well, it's warm for me, but what I found I can do is I can change my clothing, what I wear. Yeah. And I, in Florida, I've been wearing these really light synthetic fabric polyester clothes pretty much 365, 24-7, uh, just because it's that warm here, except in the winter. We've had the last couple of weeks have been cool, but we've been on this one too long. We agree on it too. I'll read the next one. Switch to a reusable takeout food storage containers. Reusable takeout food storage containers. Such as like Tupperware instead of styrofoam. Right, right. <laughs> I think that's a big deal. I don't think there's much involvement. Like it's not that much work. It's effective, but minimal effort. Yeah. So a two, a one? Yeah, a two. All right. You have to go to the store to buy the Tupperware. <laughs> it's a no-brainer for me, Peggy. Before we married, thirty-four years ago, she uh, <laughs> she had been collecting Tupperware. We've got like I don't know a whole closet full of Tupperware, so that's that's kind of a no-brainer for me. Uh, yeah. The only thing to remember here is Tupperware is a plastic, and bad plastics are fossil fuel products. That's why I'm giving it a two. Okay. Uh, switch to reusable grocery bags. As far as effort involved, I feel like there's a lot of effort involved in this, not just switching to them, but remembering your stupid bags. Remember yes. <laughs> take them out of the house, into the car, take them to the car, to the store. I'm always forgetting this. Yeah. And so I'm often loading a bunch of loose groceries into the back of my car, going inside when I get home to grab the bags and bring them back to the car to load them up so I can bring them in. Yeah. But I mean, it, I, I think it's more of a three on that. I, I do think this has an impact. I just don't think we're fully realizing the potential impact because a lot of people are citing for, oh, I'll just pay for that reusable plastic bag instead. Right. All right. Let me, let me kind of set the way I think of this scale before we go much further, because I wouldn't want to go with the three on this. Okay. Zero is I don't care. I don't want to think about it. I'm just going to live my life like I have been. Don't bother me. That's a zero. Okay. okay. One is, yeah, it, I'll do that. It's kind of a token gesture because it's not much effort and it has minimal impact. Now, two can be more effort or more impact. Three can be both. See what I'm saying? But mm -hmm. when you take that scale all the way out to a five, you're doing things like selling your house, quitting your job, getting together with a community of people, moving into a higher altitude, further north of the equator, and setting up a self-sustaining eco-village. That's a five. So there's a big range in that zero to five scale in my mind. Yeah, okay. So do I think of a three as being halfway to that eco-village? No. <laughs> See what I mean? I think of a yeah. three as where you're getting engaged in an activism of some sort. A four is how engaged are you? 
if it's one or two hours a week, you go to a meeting, that's not a lot. If you're willing to get arrested and you go to events where you can actually be arrested, now you're getting into four and you're doing background volunteer work where like I do, you're, you're helping facilitate meetings of the activist group and you're participating in events of the group calling the government into account or you know, helping plant a community garden, things like that. See what I'm saying? That's like a four. When you really are at the top of the scale, that's all you do. You see what I mean? Mm -hmm. That's yeah. all you do. So if we think about this, we should have talked about this before, I guess. But if you, that's the way I'm thinking about this zero to five scale. Is that a comfortable way to define Sure. It? I was just looking at uh, like how much effort's involved in the person and how much of an impact does it have? Well, that's, 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 uh, that's the way I'm looking at it too. But going from a two to a three here for me is a bit of a stretch. Because at level three, I want to start thinking about activist engagement. Now, this is all activist engagement, but at a one or a two level, it's kind of an afterthought engagement. You know, I've still got a, a mainstream life to live here. I still have a, to live a life a certain way, or I don't have to, but I'm going to. You know, I guess it could be either two or three, depending on the person's outlook. If they're doing that, like, oh, you know, this is. I'm doing this so I can say I did something, then yeah, that's maybe one or two. But like, I think for somebody who's on, on the other end saying, I'm doing this because this needs to be done and this is my, one of my next steps in this process and I'm committed to it, then that's where I think the person may be closer to three. So maybe it's some person's own level area. Well, I, I would say you wanted to go to a three here because of the difficulty of remembering to take the bags to the store. Not just that, but I also think of my own life and how I got to the point of um, wanting to be sustainable and environmentally conscious is I'd watched the, the short film Bag It. And one of the first things we did to, to try to make an immediate impact is switch to reusable bags. Okay. All right. Okay. Because that's back when plastic bags were still legal in Portland and getting loaded up on them. I'm like, nope, we're making this change. We're going to do reusable. We're going to commit to this. And so that was that was an active the the flag in the ground. Yeah. Okay. Okay. All right. All right. I'm going to so, divide us on that one. No, we're going to say you call it a three, I call it a two. Okay. That's fine. Yeah. <laughs> because I'm looking for I'm looking for example where you and I are concerned, and I know you've made the effort, but I'm looking for you to bring your engagement with me at XRA and DA in the interfaith circles, I'm mm -hmm. looking to bring that into your community. Yeah, which is a challenge, I, but I am working on. Long shot and uphill climb, I get that, I understand. But I'm just saying that's the kind of frontier that for me takes this into a strong three or a beginner four level. See what I mean? Yeah. For both of them. I get what you're saying. Okay, all right, let's move on. <laughs> I, the reusable produce bags is, that's the next one there, use reusable produce bags. Um, I consider that very similar to the reusable bags in the first place. Yeah, yeah, I do too. Let me get my... So it's, to me, it's repetitive. It's, if somebody's committed to being reusable grocery bags, they're not going to waste their time on those plastic produce bags. Uh, so you think it's a three or a two? A one maybe, I mean... If you're gonna remember the reusable produce bag, but not do the reusable grocery bag, what the hell is wrong with you? 
but that doesn't go both ways. If you just use the grocery bags, that's a three, right? But to, to me, the reusable grocery bags, I feel should imply reusable produce bags or no it produce is. bags. Because okay. the concept is bag it or no bag it to me. It's not, oh, well, you know, I'm going to, I, I carry this reusable bag to carry all my produce home and each thing is individually bagged in plastic. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'll leave that a one. I'm fine with a one there. What about limiting grocery runs to once a week? Who does this more than once a week? Who's crazy enough to do this? This seems so stupid. Guilty as charged. Uh, Peggy and I probably, well, simply because it's easy. We have a, a yeah. neighborhood Walmart, Walmart neighborhood store a mile away. And we have a Publix and a Winn-Dixie a mile in the other direction. And we have two See, within the 10 I'm antisocial. So I don't want to go to the stores. Peggy hates going to the store, but she goes four or five times for every once that I go. But and we between us, we probably do two or three trips a week. No, thanks. I'm like, can we get away with two or three trips per month? I mean, I don't want to do that. I, I don't want to be there. I don't want to do this, especially with a pandemic. I don't want to be exposed. I get that. I understand that. And I probably don't go once a week myself. But I go for the things that are uniquely important to me, the top of the list being chocolate, <laughs> <laughs> which I go through pretty quickly. Uh, but I could buy more in bulk. Um, and things that Peggy just doesn't want or like to shop for, like uh, the Writer's Tears Irish whiskey. <laughs> or mm -hmm. she'll pick up wines, but she doesn't like to because she's not confident in picking out one that's good. And even if I tell her, you know, she's not sure that's the one she got, you know. So there are certain things that it's better that I go and shop for. Okay. As far as groceries go. I would think that given the difficulty of finding kosher, uh, is it easy in, in Portland? I don't think it's that hard to find kosher because I think, except for the meat, cheese, and wine and bread category, 90% of the stuff on the shelves is kosher. It's, it's a major industry. It's like you're, you're going, you're making a product, you're checking the boxes, fair trade, or it's a B Corp, local, gluten-free, kosher. It's just another thing you do. And a lot of businesses are already set up for this. I mean, Coca-Cola's kosher, Oreos are kosher. You, you name the product, there's a high chance of it being kosher. So I, I, don't, I don't think it's that hard in that regard. But you know, there are some things we can't have. I mean, the meat and cheese area makes it harder. Yeah, but we don't buy meat. Um, I'm a vegetarian and I don't want cheese in the house either. So <laughs> it, it's, not that hard, it's not that hard, especially when there's Trader Joe's, they carry a lot of kosher products. How long have you been a vegetarian? Uh, Two-ish years. No. I don't know that I knew that. If I did, I'd forgotten it. Congratulations. That's a wise choice. You That, yeah, that it certainly it, puts you in the three category for me. It, it makes it complicated if you're, no one's invited anywhere because of the pandemic right now. But if you do get invited somewhere, it makes it complicated. Like I'm inviting this person, but they don't eat gluten and they're a vegetarian. And luckily where I live, everybody's kosher. So <laughs> they don't have to check that box as well. But if, if it's somebody who doesn't keep kosher, like, ah, oh, I have to do kosher. I'm like, gosh, rules with that. It's like, 
it's hard. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Go ahead. Buying Next in bulk. Buying in bulk, yeah. Oh, we did, did we give a rating to the grocery shopping? Uh, one, two, three. Four, no, we didn't rate that one. One, two, three, four, five, six. Yeah. What are we giving it? I, I think this is more on your end because you do more than once a week. How how much of a work would it be to do only once a week? It would be an effort. So I'd go with the two on that one. Okay. Where are right where are you shopping once every one to two weeks? So it's that's because I'm antisocial and I hate the stores. So uh, okay. All right. There's a difference between ranking these subjectively, how am I living this or not? And objectively yeah. for anyone, how should it rank? And, yeah, well, that, that's why I'm asking you because yeah. for me, it's like, well, I already do this. This is no extra, this is no extra effort. It's a free box. Right, right. And I, I know for others, it might be an issue. Yeah. Bulk, like Sam's or Costco. We already do that. I, I mean, that's fiscally, that's, that's the smart thing to do. I think though, I, and you you know the people who made this list up better than I do. You work with them, you see them, and you, you, you're in community with them, right? Yeah, well, the people who made this list up, I think they're gonna check off most of these options already because they're already involved to the point where they're trying to do something in the community. Right, right. Well, I, my question really is, what do you think they had in mind as buying in bulk? Because for instance, if I go to Whole Foods, there's a whole section where you can get a bulk cereal, bulk grains, bulk chocolate, bulk beans, bulk nuts. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, I think perhaps it's reduce one, it helps reduce your grocery runs, and two, it's reducing some of the packaging. So I, I, I think that's what that I think that's where that's common, Anna. So I think it's a one or a two. It's fairly easy to do. And it does have some value in terms of the packaging. And if it's, if it's organic bulk, it's healthier. So, you know, that's a one or yeah. two. You say? I'll give yeah. it a two. What do you think? Sure, I'll go with that. All right. Replace a conventional product with a local and or organic one. In Portland, it's easy. Um, it's easy. I remember in high school, I was taking a German class and my German teacher was very big on organic fruit, food and everything. And so during the class, we had to go and interview the local, we had to walk to the local grocery stores and ask them questions about their produce on Entest Safeway. And I, I said, I had asked about organic produce. I was like, hey, do you, do you have organic apples? And the person looked at me like, we have regular apples. We have red ones. <laughs> But I mean, this is before organic was a thing. Now everybody's got organic in some way or form. But I remember there's this initial push, like, what do you mean organic? Yeah, oh, I, I remember there not being the distinction. You know, I mean, when I was growing up, the, the distinction to me was, was I eating this food on the farm where it was grown or from the farm where it was grown in our family by my grandparents? Or mm -hmm. were we buying it at the local grocery store? And whether the grocery store was drawing any such local versus, you know, franchise commercial uh, and organic from a local farm or otherwise, those distinctions didn't exist well into my 20s, at least. Yeah. At least not where I grew up. I think in regards to this one, 
if I was if I was phrased that oh it's conventional versus organic, I understand the impact it makes. I also understand it's practically no effort other than to the budget. Um, but if you say store versus farm, like if you focus on the local end of it. Oh, well, I, I buy directly from the farm or I go to the farmer's market or I only buy from stores that are sourced locally, then it's more of a push. The more of it's it's more of an it. It's yeah. harder for the consumer to do. Yeah. So it's kind of a case by case. It can be higher or lower in the score based on access. Yeah. But I mean, even in Portland, it's easy access, but it's still definitely harder to do when you look at, oh, well, where is this from? And going through that process. So I think it's more effort if you're saying buying local it's not that big of a deal if you're going organic because everybody has organic now. Okay, I'm going to take the the notepad I'm keeping the scores in off the shared screen because switching fine. back and forth is kind of a pain in the neck. Our, our viewers, when they see the video, they'll know we've done this and, and I'll post the scores along with the form when I put okay. it. Uh, eating season for spring. I've never given that a thought. <laughs> Um, it's hilarious, actually. This is a this is a very Jewish thing, right? Is um, we have this special bracha we can give for produce if it's the first produce of that season. Mm-hmm. And so there's this there's this thing behind it. It's like, oh well, for this holiday, you want to make sure you have this produce because it's the first of the season, and it comes with a special bracha, and it makes it a makes it a more nice thing. And so the Tavishvat, for example, have this seda, this set meal of all these different produces that are seasonal. So, yeah, I, eating in seasons, I don't know, for me, it's especially not too hard if you're purchasing from a co-op or a farmer's market or any of those organizations like Imperfect Produce where they, they select for each week, they're selecting things that are in season. And it does have an impact. I mean, if you're eating out of season, that means it's being shipped from somewhere that they've made it that season. Yeah, yeah. I, the only thought I have of that is a distant memory. There was a fine restaurant in Atlanta in an antebellum uh, mansion um, around Marietta. It was north of Atlanta. And during, before and during the Civil War, it was a slave plantation. And it was used as a hospital when uh, Sherman went through Atlanta, <laughs> mm-hmm. burn it to the ground. It was, and lots of battles were taking place. It was used as, it was an 18, 1859 house, I think, 1863 house, something like that. Beautiful restored mansion that kept in pristine original condition. And the best food, oh my God, one of the three best restaurants I've ever been to in my life. And I went there several times. Uh, but they served seasonal meals in the winter, one thing, in the summer, another, spring and fall, and, and not every dish would change. Meats tended to be kind of the same, but the way they would prepare them might change. Mm-hmm. And you would get certain grains at different times of year. It was a great place to eat. And they had it in the kitchen, which was the original slave kitchen. The fireplace was as big as my double door closet. <laughs> <laughs> and the bar was at the end of that room the fireplace at one end and the bar at the other and they had maybe six little tables most you could sit at one would be three people that's where you went for cigars and whiskey after the meal 
literally, they had a whole rack of cigars behind the bar. It was wonderful. Anyway, that's my only memory of seasonal eating. I've never encountered it or thought about it any other. So that would be a zero for me. What would you call it? Well, I think eating in season is a good idea because it does have a bigger impact, but the impact of one or two people, I think is not that. It has to be the impact of entire communities. So if you can get a community buy-in, then a store may be convinced to adjust. But if it's just one or two people, meh. And keep it a one. Yeah. Okay. Use a fuel efficient, low emissions vehicle. I score myself a zero on that one because I drive a 92 octane Lincoln LS, 10 years old. That's its only yeah. positive feature. Peggy drives a Toyota Corolla that is a year or two old. So we're you know, not really on the hybrid, all electric roadway. <laughs> yeah. It's funny is, um, so we have a we have a Subaru that's not hybrid, but it is more fuel efficient than the hybrid cars we've owned in the past. And okay. so, I don't know if it's low emissions. I haven't bothered to check, but it it's very fuel efficient. How would you rate the idea overall? the i The idea of this, I think, is it's a very direct impact. I think it's more beneficial um especially in regards to we just replaced our minivan that died with an electric car and so 95 maybe more the percent i'm do, the driving i'm doing it's, it's zero emissions electric vehicle they don't even do oil changes in this car because you don't use it wow. and, and so the only maintenance is the tires are getting checked up if there's you know any engine issues down the road but the idea is the car could run millions of miles as long as you replace the tires and the battery yeah the battery is the battery an expensive maintenance um in portland it's fairly affordable in the rest of the world it's crazy outrageous and that's because there's a guy in portland um, called ev rides he goes to junkyards and finds car uh, electric vehicles that have been junked where the batteries not damaged and if it has 80% capacity or more, he takes the battery out. And then he has a service where if somebody wants to replace their battery because it's below 80% or whatever, they contact him. He will disassemble the battery from their car and replace it with a new battery. And if it's an upgrade battery to newer tech, he'll reprogram the car molding and everything to fit it. So older cars that were not very efficient with their electronics, like only 50 mile range, can now do over 200 miles. Um, to give an idea, for him to replace an 80-mile battery with an 80-mile battery, he charges 2500 To replace an 80-mile battery with a 200-mile battery, he does charge 10000 Wow. Compared to, if you go to, like if you have a Nissan Leaf like we do, if I go straight to Nissan to replace the 80-mile with the 80-mile, five grand. Yeah. Mm. So he is cheaper, but it's still expensive. Yeah, gotcha, gotcha. So two, three? I think it's three because if you're going to go electric, you're making more of a specific commitment and you're taking on the inconvenience of it right. as well. This is something that you incorporate into your life on a daily basis, right? Your I have to charge my car. <laughs> yeah, this is a lifestyle adaptation. So I'd go with the three on that as well. The others are yeah. kind of minimally lifestyle, you know, they're easily done, but this is a committed lifestyle change. If you got that vehicle, you ain't going to be, that's the one you're going to be in, right? So yeah. 
you have to keep making yourself do the other ones, you know. But this one, you have you really do make a binary tipping point kind of decision to go with this one. So I like a three there. All yeah, right. and it's also like because we have the two cars, you know. I've, I've made it clear to my wife is like, no, the Subaru. I'm only getting in it if I have to go farther than I can charge, such as over the pass to pick up a child. But if it's town to town, I'm going to inconvenience myself. I'm going to take the electric. And if I have to recharge it, I recharge it. But I'm not going to use the gas. Got it. Got it. Uh, we're not moving on the timeline like I hoped we would. <laughs> we're Shh, come on. We never move on a timeline efficiently. Yeah. Okay. Uh, switch Switching to disposables to combustibles. Compostable versions. That's primarily around food, isn't it? It's also around um, paper, plasticware. Yeah, all that yeah. stuff. We already do this. Um, I'm very big about this. Too. I only buy compostable forks, compostable spoons. Like there are times when I have to reuse, I have to use the single use stuff, and I absolutely, absolutely hate it. So I get the ones that are made from plant starches and sugars that are compostable. I think that's more of an active commitment because right. not everybody carries it. And you have to be very proactive in it. Well, when I think about composting, I think about uh, you've got one of those bins in the backyard and you take your table scraps and you take your cardboard and your paper and everything that can become fertilizer as it were, or for, uh, mineral rich, Soil. That's one method of composting, yes. Yeah. Um, to me, in that broader, that agricultural sense of composting, that's that comes close to a three if you diligently do that, even in an urban or a suburban environment. Yeah. I mean, even here, um, the, the way it says we have this itty bitty garbage can that's picked up every other week, but a giant recycling bin and a giant compost bin that's picked up every week. And so even if you're not composting at home, but you're putting it into the compost bin, it's still, I think it's a three on the effort of acquiring the compostable materials in the first place and making sure that's what you use. I'm fine, Jeff. So go ahead. Reusable cutlery and straws for on-the-go meals and drinks. You were just kind of talking about that, weren't you? Um, no, this one's a little different because this one is not using the compostables, but making sure you bring your actual silverware with you. I, I already do that. So, but I mean, it's, it's, there have been times like, for example, I've got a lunch packed and I forgot a fork. What do I do? I refuse to use a plastic fork. So, but I, I think it's a two. You've always got this. <laughs> I'm, I'm not a finger food person. Like my finger foods, I cut up with a fork. Oh man, I did. What'd you do in Israel? Used a fork. You didn't go, they don't have restaurants in Israel where you eat like you do in say India? Uh, they do, but they're they're not kosher enough for me. I see. That's okay. the easiest way to say it. I, I hold to a higher level of kosher than what's available on 90% of the places in Israel. I guess I, I hearken to my travels in India when I look at this yeah. one. Because I have I, two things that I was able to adapt to that I thought I'd never be able to do in India, one was to use uh, my fingers to eat. Mm -hmm. And technically, they don't really use their fingers. They just get their finger, they use their fingers, but they use a piece of bread as their scoop. And that, yeah. that's why, they bend, why they, you see people eat that way, bending over all the time. That was one. 
The other one was using a bidet. <laughs> yeah. That was shocking and yet a nice thing once I got adapted to it. Why is that not on this list? Good question. Well, it is, you got to weigh the waste of the water against the waste of the paper. That's actually not true. Okay. Because bidets are very water efficient now. Yeah. And they're, I, this has this has come up before. Well, what's the what's the uses of the water versus the paper? The fact is, a lot of water is used to make the paper. That's true too. Yeah, yeah. And so, just using the bidet is already saving water on that end, as well as saving from the paper. It's it's an especially germane question in the middle of this COVID crisis when toilet paper is like paper gold. <laughs> Sometimes I've been using a bidet for years. I'm sorry. It's, no, I, yeah. I it was an it was an adjustment for me to make. Um, actually, I first, oh, yeah, first I first encountered it when I traveled to Europe in 1967, but I didn't try it out. <laughs> okay, no, so I, we're give this one. Yeah, I'm all for the bidets. Uh, I'm going to have to contact the person who made this form and say, why is bidet not on this list? That's a good question. I think it's an excellent question. I think it ought to be. Uh, reusable cutlery, one or two? Um, one or two, yeah. I'd say two, maybe. I'm going to give it a one, let you give it a two. One. I'll go with one as well. Okay. All right. It's not, it's not that hard to do. What's next? Uh, cutting down meat consumption. Mm. What's your take? You're a vegetarian. I'm a vegetarian. <laughs> I, I mean, okay. Eat. So, I still kosher eat. wise, most of the people in this community only eat meat on Shabbos because it's expensive. Yeah. So uh, it's not, to me, it's not that hard for them. I mean, for them to cut down to less than once a week, I don't think they can do, but to cut down to once a week, it's not that much of a challenge. I guess for non-kosher consumers, there's a lot more meat consumed during the week. And there this could be a, harder for them. There certainly is for me. I, I remain a carnivore. <laughs> um, in my Bernays sauce blog entry, blog post entry, mm -hmm. On semiotic.com. If you go to semiotic.com and search Bernays, B E R N A Y S, you'll find the post. Um, I've opened it by explaining I'm a carnivore and not likely to stop. <laughs> yeah. Not much I like better than a nice, medium, rare fillet and a good, robust Cabernet. To me, that's. So, so here's a question then for you. Yeah. One, in regards to the meats. Would you use meat alternatives? Yeah, uh, you mean like the veggie burger kind of thing? Yeah. I have. I have tried those and they're getting better and better all the time. So I'm getting to where for ordinary daily fare, I'm getting to where I could make those changes pretty comfortably. Uh, but I cannot imagine a, a life in which at least on my birthday, on two or three more holidays like Thanksgiving, you know, that I wouldn't just put all that aside. <laughs> On my birthday, it would be the red meat, the red wine, you know, uh, chocolate mousse with a raspberry topping. <laughs> I mean, you know, those self-indulgent things. I, I can, it's like chocolate. I'd never let it go 100%. Would, would you eat 3D printed meat Ooh. or lab-grown meats? <sighs> that comes down to trusting the corporatocracy. But I have to trust the court doctor when I buy a filet at the grocery store. So 
that's kind of a pish tosh kind of thing. Um, offhand, I'd be skeptical, not because of flavor or nutrition value, but the rest of the chemicals. Fair enough. Just like the vaccine. Yeah, no, I get that. So as far as eating meat, you're going to be the best commentary on reducing. Well, it's, it's not getting rid of it. It's cutting down on it. It depends on how far you go. Cutting down to being a vegetarian or a vegan. And vegan's the next step beyond vegetarian, right? It is. Um, there are some things I, I'm not going to give up. Right. Uh, but we have cut down in the sense that we don't, I don't, we don't eat as much meat as we used to. Uh, we probably mm -hmm. have some wholly only vegetarian meals, I want to say once or twice a week, but we lapse on that. Sometimes we'll go two or three weeks and have meat of some kind every day. But I've gotten to where fish and chicken, daily fare or regular fare for meats and less often the beef. Uh, but all three of those are environmental disasters just because they're of the industrial production of those products. Anyway, so yeah, um, let me maybe do a quick count here. Three, six, nine, 12, 13, 14, three, six, nine, 12, 13. Uh, I've missed one somewhere. <laughs> uh, okay. We haven't done the meat consumption yet. So yeah. who? Okay. That works for me. Eat local. Uh, this ties into what you just said, actually. You brought up Cabernet wine. Yeah. What if you only went with a local winery? There are no local wineries in Florida. <laughs> as far as I know, nobody in Florida grows wine. It's not, you don't have the terroir, to use Len's word. You don't have the, okay. the local environment to do that. Now, you could greenhouse you could greenhouse it, but to get the cool temperatures, it would be really hard to grow wine in Florida. There was a winery in Georgia that we tried, and it was the worst swill I ever had that called itself wine. <laughs> um, for me, the leading local, I, I guess in regards, for example, the wine. What you, what you may not be aware of is there's going to be a wine shortage soon. I hadn't heard that, but that doesn't surprise me. So... There, there's a local winery here that I was able to do some work on their farm to help make kosher wine in the fall. And we made maybe an eighth of what we normally make because the smoke had damaged the rest of the crops from the fires. God. And so this coast wine industry is going to take a major hit, isn't it? Yes, it is. I hadn't put those, I hadn't connected those two dots. Wow. Mm. I mean, it's it's still all stuff that's currently in its aging process, so we haven't seen it yet. But I'm suspecting people are going to be shocked. Like, why is there shortage on wine? Like, well, all of its west coast all got damaged in all the smoke and fires from this past summer. Mm. Well, that's young wine, right? That'll be young wines. Yeah, it's not aged for years. It's younger wine. Right, but right. so, the California equivalent of the Beaujolais Village, which is the French spring wine. It's best in the spring of the year that it, the grapes were harvested. Mm -hmm. uh, the Beaujolais Village, the California equivalent of that for 2020, is <laughs> not going to be a pretty picture. <laughs> it no. may exist, but it's going to be horribly expensive. Yeah. Mm. Wow. Thanks for bringing my attention to that. That's interesting. So eat local generally, I would say, is at least a one, maybe a low end two. 
I already feel like this is on the list though. I feel like this is a little repetitive. I understand, okay, if you're eating at a restaurant that is typically local, and if you're focusing on, you know, where they get their things, like, where was it in here? We already, you know, replace conventional products with local products. If you're replacing it with local already, then you're already eating local. Well, if you just change the one, the one you read from before, uh, replacing, I don't see it, but uh, if you had replaced local, products and services do you know what i mean if you stopped if you stopped shopping amazon and only bought the things that you really really need a and b you bought them locally what would that do i don't know for me amazon is a local company <laughs> <laughs> well it's an local company for everybody well i mean like like where it's based and everything and you know there are some they've there's like all these Portland businesses that's we have, a, there's local stuff on Amazon too. I mean, I have stuff listed on Amazon. Well, what'd we give the other one? Replace a local, oh, yeah, I see it. Replace a conventional product. We gave that one. Uh, a one or a two. It's one or a two. I'm happy with a two here. All right, last one in the personal category. Other. As other, I think we can just. Well, you wanted, you thought that bidet should be on the list. I I think it should be on the list, not as an other, because most people don't know what a bidet is. I so if it, on them. <laughs> it, but if it gets put on the list, people are like, what is this? And then they'll look into it. Exactly. So I think it should be on the list. I agree. Um, I mean, others, like if there's something else you want to do, you can check the box and then it lets you fill it, it in is. once you check the box. Okay. So let's move to political. This should be interesting. This is pretty short. We can do this. It's easy. All right. Join a group that advocates for environmental clause. Well, being a volunteer and an actively engaged volunteer in both XR America and Deep Adaptation, I'll say just joining the group is a two. Okay, because that just means that you go to their website, you read their blog posts, and so on, right? Maybe you sit in on a couple of Zoom sessions. And once COVID's over, maybe you would actually go to a local meeting and just kind of, you know, uh, socialize with the other members. To me, that's See, a two. It's, it's the word join, right? If you're exactly. saying, oh, peruse online, then that's, that's nothing. But to me, join means you're going to be at the meetings. Right. You're going to be involved because you're a right. member. It's, it's the difference between being a fan who uh, goes to the games and maybe even paints themselves in wild colors and decorates their house and all the Seahawks paraphernalia, yada, yada, versus someone who goes to the games and, and volunteers to work on keeping the field green or volunteers to work on cleaning up the garbage, or volunteers, to, you, you get my point? Volunteers. I, I get what you're saying. There's a difference for those, between being a member and being a volunteer, that's the distinction. Yeah, no, I get what you're saying. Um, I'm, I'm still leaning to at least a three because, for example, the Seahawks fan that goes all out, they're still going all out. They may be misguided in where their all out is, but they're still putting in massive effort. And so it's a matter of education in that regard. 
That's, we're not at the activism box. level yet. If you if you give that a three, then I think there's a missing box. Uh, but we'll get to that when we get to other. <laughs> so you want to give that? Uh, a but three? I also consider like the the group I'm part of. We have what twelve members, and we're all active. You're not in the group if you're not active. Did you have a hand in creating this this pledge? No. Um, we talked about a pledge at the last meeting. Somebody in the group went ahead and designed the pledge and presented it at our meeting earlier this week and said, we talked about doing this. I want to do this. Here's my rough draft. Okay. So this is a committee within your community? Yes. Okay. Uh, is, and, and I assume that the committee is connected to the next level up in the hierarchy. Yes. Not, not always, but yes. Um, that's all falls under the Jewish Relations Community Council or the Jewish Community Relations Council, the JCRC. Um, most Jewish communities have one of these groups. Not everybody has a sustainability group. Uh, we work with the San Jose group and the Seattle group. And so those are our local partners, but we're, we're very much directly involved with the sustainability and environmentalism. Right. That very fact that you're on that committee and you, through that committee, you work with like-minded committees elsewhere. Those two facts put you at a three for me as in my ranking of things here, that puts you at least at a three, a mid-range three or higher, just because it takes time, it takes initiative, it takes discipline, it takes will, and it's not just you, it's a group that's local and a group that's regional. Mm -hmm right so that to yeah. me means you're a volunteer at a local and regional level well not necessarily regional but more than just your local community right it's all still in oregon right well san jose that's california right and seattle is washington and seattle's washington so this region we partner with the west coast which partners nationwide and the fact that it's sustainability is the focus right in those connections yeah mm -hmm. That fact makes it right at the heart of environmental extinction level rebellion and deep adaptation. So that puts you very solidly in the three, if not the four category for me, as I see it. But this event per se, just joining the group, to me, that's a one, maybe a two. I, I guess it depends on the group. Cause like if somebody came to our group and said, I wanna join, or we'll be like, well, what are you doing? What are you going to do? This is not, this is not a, we don't do honorary memberships. I see. So if, if you're not volunteering. You have to have skin in the game. Yeah. I see. Okay. All right. So I can see why you would make that a three. Um, you have to have your skin in the game if you're joining a group that advocates. Okay. See, in XRA and deep adaptation, it's a real issue that they haven't come to grips with. Being a member versus being a volunteer. There's, probably 10,000 members of deep adaptation now worldwide. But the professions network volunteers group, the ones who do stuff, facilitate meetings, uh, plan and schedule events, take care of the infrastructure, train people, et cetera, et cetera. That's three or 400. <laughs> so, See, to me, that's membership. Yeah, yeah. So that's- and and what you're saying as what is membership to me that is either supporters or subscribers i, I wouldn't call them members okay all right okay all right 
Uh, we'll get to that in the other. All right. So I'll check that one off. And I would like to say, I would give it a one or a two. I, my experience outside, you know, with DA and XRA, it's a high one or a low two. But I'll go for a two and you want a three, right? Yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, right to the city council. Let's do these three at the same time. Right to the city council. Right to state rep and right to senator. Right to senator. So it's writing letters to political officials on environmental issues. Let's do those as one fell swoop. That's fine with me. Um, I want to hear you first. Okay. Uh, to me, that's... <laughs> um, I know for a fact that it hasn't worked when it comes to environmentalism. It has not worked. Yeah. We've been doing that for centuries. You know, try, bringing this stuff up with political figures and the powers that run them. So to me, that's... It's, it's efficacy is a zero. As an action to take, it's, um, it assuages one's conscience in these matters. That's its positive yeah. effect. But it's efficacy in addressing the predicament per se that's in question here, where a predicament is, not, is a lot more than just a problem to be solved. The predicament is a dilemma that you don't know how to get out of, right? <laughs> and that's really where we are. So this one, I would say, is a very low one. Except You're being for, generous. Uh, well, you were going to give it a zero? Um, I was going to say, if its efficacy is a zero, then at best it's a one, at worst it's a negative. Well, we didn't do negative numbers, so... I know. The, the only reason I say that, though, is if it assuages one's guilt... And all they do is do this thing that doesn't do anything. And then they go back to their regular life. It's backwards progress. Uh, if you want to give it a zero, I'd be right there with you, brother. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm saying zero because it's also not that hard. You can now download an app and check the boxes and they'll write the letter and mail it for you. Right, right, right. I'll go right. There, there's no involvement. And all it does is remove one's personal responsibility from solving the problem. I have a question as we continue here. Do yeah. you think it would help your counsel to go back to them with this episode? Um, I think that's a lot for them to digest. I, I could definitely bring this episode to like the head of the council. I, this is the type of stuff he'd love to engage in and get this thought process going out and everything, but I think it's too advanced for the committee itself. Okay, but taking the head of committee is a viable thing to think about. Yeah. I'm just curious because I'd like for it to make a difference that we spent this much time on. Okay, yeah, heard everything possible about an initiative focused on the environment. Well, first, that's not doable. No. It isn't doable. And, and uh, something that's become increasingly clear and vividly imminent for me lately is you can't, you can't keep up with the flow of information. The information is flowing faster than it's possible to track goes back to that Zygmunt Bauman book on liquid modernity. Mm -hmm. Information is now flowing in a liquid reality faster than it's possible to keep up with or meaningfully talk about it. So the efficacy of that is strictly speaking for me, one or zero. But having said that, if someone is willing to make the effort to learn enough about an initiative focused on the environment, to bring them into having skin in the game, then I'd give it a three or maybe even a four, depending on how much skin in the game they give it. 
feel like we should go in the middle there and just give it a two then. <laughs> um, did you ever see The Good Place? The Good Place. It doesn't ring a bell. Comedy. It's like, I think it's five seasons or oh, four, maybe four seasons. The series on Netflix. Yeah, yeah. So I, I gave that a try uh, very early on and didn't stick with it. Make it past the first season. I mean, the, the last season is, is amazing because they come to this realization that the system is broken and determine if somebody's a good person or a bad person is not possible because the world's so complex that you can say, oh, I decided to have a salad that makes me a good person, but your choice of salad where you got the tomato, is it organic, is it fair trade, that you could be destroying the world and become an evil person as a result. All right, I'm looking for, uh, we just finished watching Crown and we started watching the uh, Bridgertons on Netflix, mm. which is actually a good period drama. It's actually quite good. It's kind of like Paul Dark. I don't know if you watch any of that, but we, we digress. I've heard of it. We got three zeros there. Vote on environmental causes. To me, that's another zero. <laughs> but I'm willing yeah. to give, you know, because how often do you vote? It's not that hard. Uh, yeah, I think I think I don't. I think it's a one because uh, it's not that hard to vote. However, if everybody were to vote for an environmental cause, it pass. What, so what, does, what does legislature that's passed have to do with environmental efficacy at this stage of the game? No, that's a different. I'm not looking philosophy. I'm not looking at what's the end term. What's this end sum result? I'm looking at where, how is this going to progress somebody in their own improvement to being a better human? So you're looking at it as an individual act. Yes. Okay. All right. So to vote on environmental causes means you have to change how you view politics. Okay. So you want to give it a one? Okay. I'm fine with that. Other, the other here is, I'm just going to say, um, volunteer in addition to that, that would be more communal, I think, not political. I'm not following you. Well, the communal section mentions volunteer. If you're going to volunteer, you're getting involved with the local community, even if it's online if Zoom with a, a group. If you join as a member, you're getting involved with a, a community, whether it's local or not. I mean, I volunteer with XRA and Deep Adaptation, but I've never met yeah. anybody in, in, in XR up close and personal other than the few who got involved with me here locally. But that's still a community. It's an online community. Exactly. Okay. So that's, okay. that's the communal. I don't think volunteerism fits much, unless you're volunteering to be somebody that is, what's the word they use for this? A lobbyist. Unless you're volunteering to lobby for environmental causes with Congress or Senate, I don't think it's a political thing. I think it's a communal thing. What about the um, level of volunteer that people like Roger Hallam are committed to? It still has a bigger impact on the community than politics. Oh, yeah. I don't know very many politicians have changed their opinion, but community has changed their opinion. Okay. So I think okay. it's still communal based. I get what you're saying. Okay. All right. So you'd give it a three, you said? Oh, the, we, are, we aren't ranking this. It's just a thing to put in the other box. Yeah. I was okay. saying volunteer should be into the next section, which is communal, which it's right there. <laughs> volunteer. Oh, well, there you go. 
So they're drawing a distinction between a personal pledge to be a member and a community act of being a volunteer. Huh, good for them. That's good. I'll take it off of this political list. Uh, okay. All right. What's the first okay. one here? Join a CSA, Community Supported Agriculture. You get your box from the local farm. Okay. Two? Uh, 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 by box, you mean once a week or once a month or twice a week or whatever, yeah. regularly yeah. delivered or you go pick it up, right? Yeah. Okay. Uh, I think it makes an impact. And I think it requires commitment. Because what you get in that box is not always convenient. <laughs> Sorry, I'm typing in the title of this group. And you would give it a two or a three? Chill. I'm fine with that. Switched a grocery trip for a farmer's market trip. That's similar to the first one. Well, no, the CSA is you're not actively going to the farmer's market. The, this one is saying, instead of going to the grocery store, I'm only going to buy at the farmer's market. Ah, okay. All right. Um, one or two still. I'll go with the two on that one. Although it's not as good as the CSA, is it? Mm, I think it's similar. On par? Okay. On par. But I also live in a place where there's a farmer's market every day of the week. Hours aren't like that. There used to be one that was uh, open like six hours a day, weekdays. Uh, but it, it, The farmer's market's not. So each location is only open one day a week for like four hours. But because Portland's so big, every day of the week, there's a different farmer's market open in a different zone or a different borough of Portland. That's, that's essentially how this worked. But the, the yeah. farmers all went to this one location and put their products up. And they they stayed open. Apparently, they had farmers scheduled to come on different days to bring different products. See, what I mean, this. Uh, see, we have different locations, even. Yeah. So this was one location, and different farmers would come on Monday, and different on Tuesday, and different on Thursday. And different, but they they went out of business, and they were pretty dear. They were pretty expensive. What about telecommuting? I mean, in this COVID world, that's not an option. <laughs> you know, it's pretty much necessary. Most. Yeah, well, I mean, there's still some businesses that are really pushed against it. I mean, COVID has definitely proven that telecommuting is possible for most, if not all, jobs. I'm, I'm in support of telecommuting to a degree. It's possible that the building you're working at, if you take an electric vehicle to get there, or you take mass transit to get there that runs on biodiesel or electric, and if the building is LEED certified and the work you're doing is not wasteful on supplies, it's possible that going to the office could be more sustainable than you doing it at home if you're if you're using greenhouse gases and you're not efficient and you're just wasting. So, so where would you put where would you put deliberate telecommuting? In other words, you have options. Yeah, still long but you choose I, to telecommute at every opportunity. I, I'd say this is still a one or a two. I don't I think that there's an effort involved but I, I'm not convinced about how big of an impact it'll make because it depends on what your personal life is like compared to your business life. Uh, okay, I put it, uh, we've got all three of these as a two so far. 
Uh, contact brands to learn their policies and encourage plant-friendly ones. Uh, that was fine. Encourage. I don't know what that means. Um, say, hey, you should do this instead. Right. I don't. If a business hears from a lot of people, oh, you need to offer this, the business will offer it, not because it's the right thing to do, but because there's money involved. I see what you mean. I see, okay. So what would you give this one? I don't, I don't see the impact of it. Like, It's kind of like the I political mean, one to me. <laughs> yeah, it's, for example, like, Oreos. And it's, uh, the profit is gonna be the deciding factor. Can they make a decent well, profit with it? So, yeah, I mean, for example, with Oreos, I think is a great example that I can bring up. This week, they released the Oreo company released gluten-free Oreos for the first time ever. Gluten-free is a major thing now. Yeah, it is. My son-in-law, John, is is both lactose intolerant, and the whole family is pretty much predisposed towards gluten-free. I don't think about it because gluten doesn't bother me, but uh, personally. Uh, environmentally, it's an improvement, I guess, broadly speaking. Um, See, ours is for health reasons. I'm celiac, so our house is gluten-free, dedicated. But my point is, is that the company only did it because of the, the amount of profit they realized they could get from it. So I can't trust that a company is going to go B Corp because it's the right thing to do. I mean, if it's a small company, yeah. If it's small local business like you've committed in other areas of this, okay, then that makes a difference. But most of them are already doing that because they have those same values because they're small and local. Corporations, they're only going to do it if, the, if they get money from it. So I don't see the larger impact of this. Two? I don't know. I don't with one. Okay. It's okay. not that hard to say, like, oh, you should do this. I'm like, okay, well, that's fine. We'll take in your comment. Uh, trips for work and fun local. Keep them local. Have fun and work locally, in other words. Um, trip, I, who, I, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm not seeing the impact, really. I guess the idea of, oh, you're not traveling as far as you're not using as much greenhouse gases, but like, I'm always been a local person. Well, let's just do something here. It's easier. Yeah. Well, that's your introversion at work. <laughs> yeah. But I, a little statistic that got thrown at me the other day, one day earlier this week, something like 80% of the fossil fuel consumption is done by 1% of the population. So and this is going to make that much of a difference. One of the biggest pieces of that is the fact that the 1% travel by helicopter and, and air, air travel. Almost. So I mean, in that, that could make a difference. I guess if we're saying, oh, instead of me flying to go somewhere, I'm going to do this local alternative. I, I can see where that would be like, make an impact. Yeah, yeah. Oddly enough, the airlines aren't thriving the way they were, but they still have a black bottom line. <laughs> yeah. And did you, just as an aside here, speaking of travel, the World Economic Forum, it's, it's January Davos meeting that they have every year. They're not yeah. going to have it this year. 
they pushed it out to after the what they think is going to be post-COVID into it's either May or July. But they are having an online an online agenda meeting this month. And anyone can participate in that, I, I think. Or maybe you have to join them. And they have they're offering a three-month free trial to be an, an active digital member of the World Economic Forum. And then after that, it's something like 50 pounds, 50 euros a month. Hmm. Yeah, I've got 50 euros a month to spend to listen to oligarch elites tell me the permanent lies that I have to live by. <laughs> and, and pay them 50 euros a month for, for the privilege, right? Not going to happen, but I might up on their free trial. All right, we're running out of time here, so let's try to wrap these ones up here. Um, keep local. What was your score for that? Uh, a one. I'm fine with that. Okay. Volunteer, I think, is a is an important thing. I think that requires more work. At least a two, maybe a three. I'll go with three because it's going to lead them down that path. I'll go right there with you. Donate. I'm going to say two. I'll go with that too. It's a little bit of a skin in the game. Uh, it's, it's a mild form It'll, of volunteering. It has a little pain with it. But usually donations lead to involvement. Yes, they do. You'll track so. it if you're putting money in it. <laughs> yes. Okay. Uh, talk to friends and family. Um, zero, negative 10. I... I <laughs> I understand where some people say this as a benefit. In my experience talking with friends, it has not made a difference to them. I, it's a tough one for me. Um, because it's such a broad spectrum of interpretation. My friends and family are sick to death of me talking to them about helping the planet. <laughs> yeah, I get that. So and the utility of it is still an enormous problem. So I've pretty much gotten to the point where if someone isn't already aware and awake, what I would call collapse aware and extinction awake, they're talking to the hand with me. I don't have yeah. time to waste waking people up and making them aware of this crisis. I just don't. Other than doing things like this. I think that this is a, a, a zero or a one if it's your initial process. But if you talking to them is a result of you being involved as a member of organizations and this is the next step of them doing outreach, then it's a different story. Yeah. So let's agree that it's a one or a two. Right? I'll agree to a, a one overall. Okay. It depends on where you're coming from. Most people, I don't think, are being active involved first. So it's, it's not going to have a huge impact. Unless you really are taking it up a notch and you, you give public speaking about it now or family gathering. Plant a tree. This is on here because Tuba Shavat, the typical custom is to plant trees. Okay. Um, does it make a difference? I think it has a potential, but I. I'm not going to be the one in a hundred years to see what that happened to that tree. Right. I, there's, there's two movements involving planting of trees now, interestingly enough. One is just to replenish the carbon sink, right? To, uh, to increase the carbon drawdown. The other is to start conditioning the planet 
by taking what are now temperate zone trees, things that grow in the warmer, closer to the equator, kind of like here in Florida, we have a lot of sawgrass and palm and that kind of thing. The climate that those, the weather that those flourish in is not gonna be here in another decade. It's gonna be about 150 to 200 miles north of here. It's gonna be across the Florida border into Georgia. And the weather that's in Georgia is gonna be in Kentucky. And the weather that's in Kentucky is gonna be in Illinois. You see what I'm saying? Okay. Yeah. So the yeah. other movement is to take native plants from the current regions and move them further toward the poles and tend them there until they adapt to the climate. And once they've genetically adapted their species to that climate as it is today, then they will survive into the, the changes that are coming at least for a while. Depends on how far down the road you look. Okay, we're done with the, the pledge. Are yeah, you what's sad? your number score for the tree though? Uh, uh, my number score for the tree is a two. Considering both of those possibilities, it's a two. Although I know the carbon <laughs> sink idea, just planting a tree in my backyard, that's that's futile. It's it's I mean, if one million of us go out and plant trees, they're going to clear that many trees out of the the temperate the rainforests in Brazil and Indonesia today. Okay. <laughs> so so I'm kind of going, you know, it's it's kind of like the vote, you know, it's kind of a noble gesture, but it's a gesture. Fair enough. So yeah, I'll I'll go through the scoring. Um, I think this is other than you know the the couple notes that where things could be improved on it. I think it's a great start to send to people who are not involved to get them to start thinking about things, and then provide educational resources. Like if they say, well, what? How does this make a difference? Then they can view a link or something on an organization that explains how it makes a difference. Here what I'm going to do, just as an aside, I'm going to put our scores that I put in a, in a notepad document, I'm going to copy them and paste them into the chat. That way they'll be preserved with the film, with the video. Okay. Uh, there we go. All right. Sorry. A little housekeeping here. I, I, I haven't gone through this uh, and scored it. I appreciate that your council is doing this. Uh, and I like the idea, and I'm going to kind of share it. And if, if it's okay, you might want to ask the head of your council if it's okay if I suggest doing something like this as an outreach at XRNDA. It's probably a good idea. Um, I, I don't think you need permission to recommend, hey, we should do something like this. Okay, that's, that's what I'll do because, you know, they might take some of these check boxes but they might add others or take some of these out. I don't know. But the, the idea of doing something like this as a first baby step is a good thing, I believe. So yeah. more and that's to me what it is. This is an outreach, yeah, not exactly. an activism. Yeah, I, I like it. So I guess we're done for this episode, brother. Yeah, so we'll be tuning in again soon to talk about other topics. So please be listening for those. But um, I guess my final comment to the listener is 
do something, get involved and, and don't do something pointless or meaningless. As you've heard us talk about a lot of these things where it sounds great, but it leads to you, f- you feeling like you did something, but actually have accomplished nothing. And that's, that's the biggest waste. Um, the, the Talmud says, Rabbi Tarfin says that you're not required to finish the work, but you're also, it does not remove your obligation to do what you can when you can. You have to do everything you can when you can. You won't finish it, but you got to do what you can. Yeah. So, I guess my closing comment would be twofold. One, um, most of the actions, if not all of them, on this pledge are right and good things to do as individuals. Just something you can do as an individual, especially things having to do with how you consume energy, either in your food or your appliances or your vehicles and so on in your travel and so on. So they're good things to do individually. So I, I really like the pledge for that reason. And I'm going to plug Extinction Rebellion and uh, Deep Adaptation uh, as specific groups if you want to be an activist volunteer. Um, and I would urge you to contact me directly. Uh, you can, the information to contact Yoni and me is on the posts when they go up yeah, so, it's really yeah. easy you you all you have to do is email semiobytes at gmail.com and it'll get where it needs to go okay all right so semiobytes.com and semiobytes at gmail.com gmail.com uh if um semiobytes at gmail.com relates to xr if you go to semiobytes at G, if you go to semiobytes.com i'll take you where you need to go but if you're sending an email you can just straight up send gmail Okay, semiobytes at gmail.com. If it has to do with XR or deep adaptation, put XR or DA in the subject line of that email and Yoni will know to send it straight to me. Oh, definitely. Well, I'll know where to send it anyways because I actually read these things. <laughs> well, it's not a bot. To read it, but you might be interested in reading some of them if they tell us a little bit of their story. Yeah. Which I hope they will. Send questions, comments, and suggestions to semiobytes at gmail.com. Semiobytes is a podcast co-hosted by Yedbrick and SemioCity that answers Semitic questions via semioc analysis by addressing misunderstandings to build a bridge of shalom between Judaism and Christianity. Semiobytes is a component of the Track 2 dissertation process at Portland Seminary for Jonathan Esterman and Terry Rankin.